You're listening to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. Sunday morning, Memorial Day weekend. A time for all of us to think of which way our country is going, to remember of our veterans, to remember the ones who passed away, but the ultimate sacrifice for us to be here today. We have one a great show for you today. Uh, we have uh, General John Teichhardt, who tells us what is Space Force actually doing. John Chatches to tell us the problems in, in, in our big democratic cities. John Kandunas out of Chicago to tell us what's going on in Chicago. A lot of companies may be leaving. We have Janine Pirro, and she's got a new book. And let's start today off with Lara Trump on how she visualizes 2024. What is today is Lara Lee Trump, and uh, she's been the face of the campaign lately. And uh, the and uh, I welcome her this Memorial Day weekend, and uh, Lara Trump. What are you doing this Memorial Day weekend? Oh, well, thank you so much. You know, this is, uh, it's, I think it's a weekend where we oftentimes uh, will have a barbecue, grill out, hang out with our friends, uh, open up the pools for the first time. But obviously, we should always take a moment to remember um, the reason that we celebrate this Memorial Day. And it is, of course, to recognize the sacrifices of our great service members um, who, without whom we would not have a country and we wouldn't be here. And so uh, it, it is a special time. You know, we have a, uh, a situation where we live in Florida most of the time, but I just brought my kids up to New York for the summer for two months. And so, uh, so we're enjoying ourselves and getting settled in. Well, and New York, look, I've lived in New York all my life, and New York is a special kind of town. And my biggest fear is we're losing New York. 484,000 people have moved out of New York in the last 12 months, and uh, that is scary. It is. It is. And, you know, you look at at what's happened to New York, you look at what's happened to California, um, they've lost congressional seats because, to your point, so many people have left these states. Guess where they have gained the congressional seats? In places like Florida, where where I live most of the time, And, and there's a reason for that. And you know, I think whenever you compare the um, the way these, these states are run, it's pretty obvious that it is a better lifestyle, a safer lifestyle, and um, quite frankly, a cheaper lifestyle for people to live in states like Florida versus New York. New York is very expensive. New York at this time, New York City is a very scary place, I think, for a lot of people. When you see the crime running rampant, when it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight to it, you have an influx of migrants coming um, to the city, taking over hotels and kicking veterans out of their their own hotel rooms. It's kind of crazy right now to see what has happened. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, I think it's obvious as to why people are leaving. We need different leadership in states like New York. Um, you know, it's a shame that uh, in the 2022 midterm elections, Lee Zeldin wasn't more successful and couldn't have become ultimately the governor of the state he got very close um and i I think it's just a shame because it is a very special place it's a place i lived for 15 years 
Um, but you know what? I, I think you're right. Unfortunately, we're seeing it change and not for the better. And, and I don't see really the trajectory turning at any point uh, in the near future. November of 22, everybody expected a red wave and mm-hmm. it didn't happen. And it, yeah. it, it seems like uh, the Democrats are, are outsmarting the Republicans. And uh, some of the U.S. senators I was with the other night said, well, how's that? Well, first of all, on the abortion issue. You know, my, my wife, Margo, is right of Attila the Hun. She's from Iowa. And, uh, and uh, she's very sensitive to the abortion issue. Why do uh, Republicans make it such a big issue instead of, uh, when I ran for mayor, I said, it's, it's, up to the, it's up to the woman, it's up to her doctor, it's up to her family. Well, yeah, and at this point, look, we had the Supreme Court decide that it should go back to the states, that it should be up to the people of the country in each state to vote on what they feel uh, is the best way forward on abortion. But you're right. I think it is a very tough issue. It's an issue that, that you know, don't kid yourself. The Democrats know that it, it's a very hard issue, and they try to exacerbate it, and, and they try to bring it up at every possible turn because they know that it is very divisive, and they know that for a lot of people, it might turn them away from the Republican Party, the harsh stance that um, that a lot of Republicans take on it. Um, but you know what? Aside of that, too, back to your point about them outsmarting us, you're right. They have outsmarted us in the way that they campaign and the way that they operate during elections. We have made so many mistakes as Republicans, First, the first of which is thinking that everything is operating above board and therefore, we're going to be above all the fray. Don't, don't, don't make any mistake about it. The Democrats are down in the mud. They're down in the dirt. They're doing the dirty work and dirty business. And if we are not playing the same game and using every legal avenue possible, we are going to lose. We have to be uh, going out there and telling people, you need to vote early. Vote early and then get other people out to vote. That's what the Democrats do. We have to be ballot harvesting all across this country, wherever it is legal, go to the NRA meetings, go to elderly care homes, go to churches, go everywhere you can find Republicans and get them to vote and take their votes directly and turn them in where we can do it legally. We've got to start playing the game smarter and we have to do it better than the Democrats because they've exposed our weakness in this space. They have exposed how how poorly we have done it. And unless we change the way we operate as a party, we will lose no matter how bad their candidates are. I mean, my gosh, look at Joe Biden and look at the fact he campaigned out of a basement and can barely string two sentences together. And there he sits as the president of the United States. President Trump had 40,000 visitors on the average uh, uh, stopover. He had uh, uh, Biden, President Biden now at 12. And uh, everybody was laughing, but actually he was hiding. Yep. And, and that's exactly right. I mean, that's why I think so many people look back at 2020 and they say something doesn't feel right about this election. You had the 12 people, John, in hula hoops looking at Joe Biden uh, every now and again up on a stage whenever they would drag him out. Donald Trump is holding three, four five rallies a day with tens of thousands of people at them. Um, but I think that the message has been received. Lara, I have one more. I got one yeah. more for you. And uh, the seven U.S. senators, the eight U.S. senators we had the last month didn't realize it. 
when pr President Biden got up and says, I'm going to allow uh, $10,000 uh, to come off your debt on college loans. Oh. Okay, <laughs> now let me tell you what happened. You, people don't realize it. 26 million applications were filed. Wow. How do you think those college kids voted for? For their $10,000 oh. in their pocket? Or, or they voted the right way to, to keep America safe? I think I know how the college kids are voting if they're getting $10,000. How do you think they voted? They in, know. You know, how many colleges are there in Arizona? How do you think they voted in Arizona? Mm-hmm. That's true. All right. There, so there take, was, them, take the message back. Yeah. And there was, there's so much that they have done that, that, I mean, really is not above board, that really shouldn't be allowed in this country. Um, but it, like I said, it, it is why we have to start changing the way we play this game as a party. And we have to start calling them out and exposing them because, you know, well, that, even that even sort of Nancy Pelosi, even Nancy Pelosi told Biden, uh, President Biden, that uh, you can't do that. But nobody can. Yeah, that's exactly they, right. Last week, uh, we had a lunch uh, with a professor, a doctor, uh, Epstein. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, it was hosted by Nina Rosenwald. Uh, Miranda Devine wrote a story about it. Uh, and he says that uh, uh, even Google is playing games on, uh, on, on, on the websites. And I'm sure they are. It's influencing X amount of votes. And mm -hmm. if you if you look at the tallies at the end of 22 and the end, you see that uh, an influence of 100,000 votes can make all the difference in the world. It is across the board. It really is incredible to see uh, the way the Democrats have have infiltrated almost every system we have here in America, the way they control the mainstream media, the way they control big tech, social media, Hollywood Anywhere that can influence people, it seems they have a stranglehold on. And that is why it's very challenging. That's why, John, it doesn't matter that the policies of the Republican Party are so far superior to anything the Democrats have to offer. They're telling people, if you vote for us, we'll give you $10,000 off your student loan. They're telling people, if you vote for us, then you're not a bad person. If you vote for Republicans, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're this, that, and the other their messaging and the way they have infiltrated our youth and our society as a whole, truthfully, has really been so much better than the Republicans. And that's that's another thing we have to do so much better on. You know, people under the age of 21, the majority of them are getting their information. Guess where? From TikTok. So let's get we've got to get going, though, as a party. We've got to get our messaging out there so people start to understand because we cannot continue down this path we will not have a country left sooner rather than later and and so many of us can see it but we've got to wake people up and make sure they all see it as well lara in 2024 our country depends on our our country going in the right direction otherwise we turn into a venezuela and right. uh, and it's not i think in 2024 the message has to be to every american it's not about uh, Democrats and Republicans, it's about America is at stake. That's, I mean, that's great. I think you're hired. Do you want a job on the campaign, John? Because we could use a little bit of that whenever we are talking to the American people. We need I to don't get, get paid. I don't get paid. I don't get paid more than a <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> well, 
cool. You're hired. I love it. Um, You're right, though. It it really is a dire situation. And I think every four years we hear the same thing. We hear people say this is the most important election of our, our lifetime. This is the most important election. But I think people feel it right now. I think they feel it is different. I think they feel the stakes are higher. I think they feel that, like you said, it's not about Republican versus Democrat. There is so much that really is good versus evil. There really is so much that is America versus the downfall of our country. And that is really what is at stake. Most people in America have never traveled outside of our borders. Most people don't realize how lucky we truly are to live in the greatest country on earth. We've got to remind people of that. That is our job as we head towards November 5th of 2024. And I sure hope we wake a lot of people up. Lara Trump, uh, that's the message. And thank you for coming on this Sunday morning, Memorial Day uh, weekend. And uh, God bless you. God bless your entire family. And um, I'm always there for you. Oh, you're the best. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. you. Take care. Enjoy the weekend. You too. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. With us today is Janine Pirro, a judge, a lawyer, a judge, a uh, district attorney, um, one talented lady, uh, and uh, she has a new book, Crimes Against America, The Left's Takedown of Our Republic. And uh, Judge Janine uh, welcome to WABC, your other home, and uh, tell us about your new book. Well, first of all, thank you for having me uh, and making me a member of the WABC family. Uh, you know, my book, Crimes uh, Against America, they, How the Left is Taking Down Our Republic, is really a reflection of how I and most Americans feel about what has gone on in this country in the last several years. America is no longer a sovereign nation. We're nothing more than a globalist landing spot with benefits. Joe Biden and people on the left have literally uh, taken down our border and have allowed this country to be invaded. Five million in the last two years, an estimated 10 million in the next two years. None of these people have been vetted. We don't know who they are. We don't know who among them is a pedophile, who among them, you know, is a uh, is an identity thief, an MS-13 gang member, beats his wife, drives drunk. We don't even give them alien registration numbers. The truth is that these individuals who are coming in are coming for the cornucopia of benefits, education, medication, housing, and we give it to them. And now, and, and I'm happy that the immigrants are being sent to the northern states because now the northern states and those sanctuary uh, nonsense, uh, they now understand what it means to have people come in and literally invade your home, your towns, your 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 uh, villages and hamlets, ranches in the South. And now the North is saying, we can't handle it. And Mayor Adams in New York City is saying, we can't handle it. I don't want to be a sanctuary city anymore. And what does he come up with? He wants to put kids, uh, take kids out of their gyms and put illegal adult men in their gyms. Uh, and have the kids play somewhere else. Well, apparently the parents uh, put an end to that. But this is a problem in America where we're losing our sovereignty, and that's why I wrote Crimes Against America. I create the book. It's like an indictment, and I go through every one of the crimes against the institutions, law enforcement, education, 
uh, health. I talk about COVID. I talk about the Department of Justice, the FBI. I talk about the health and human services, the gaslighting of people in this country, the fact that they're, 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 we're not only now bending a knee to OPEC for oil, but we're bending a knee to China so we can get our lithium batteries from them while they build more coal-fired uh, coal uh plants to build lithium batteries that we don't even have the ability when we do have electric cars to get rid of those batteries. No insurance company will insure them, and we have no way to uh, to take care of the destruction and disposal of those batteries. So we're in a mess, which is why I wrote The Primes Against America. You can get it at Amazon, any bookstore, or you can get a signed copy at judgejpbook.com. That's Judge J, the letter J, book.com. We're in a hell of a mess, John, and you talk about it every day, and I handle it like an indictment and a crime. I'm tired of the progressive DAs, and I'm tired of social justice. I don't know what the heck it is, and neither do you, because nobody's defined it. Judge, when did this all happen? I mean, there's an attack, an attack on our borders, an attack on our education system, an attack on all parts of our way of life. You want to know when it happened? Tell me when it happened. Barack Obama, Barack Obama, when he was president, said he would fundamentally transform this country, and he did. That's when the hate started toward police. That's when the division started. And Barack Obama, I don't know if you know this, John, he was a student of Marx and Marxism. And that's when they started the politically correct speech. If you don't say it the way we want you to say it, then we're going to cancel you. We're going to, we're going to make sure that you lose your job. You're a racist. You're a xenophobe. And that's when it all started. And they started changing all of the books, all of the um, uh, the the um, the statues, and they take the, we're taking the word like jihad out. And things that were relevant at the time because they didn't want people to feel bad, and that just continued. And then, and then with Joe Biden, he promised to be a, a moderate, but he brought he came in, and I talk about this in Crimes Against America. That he came in as a moderate, but in his Trojan horse were progressive ideologues, Marxists, socialists, and they are running the agencies in this country. I can't find anyone who can tell me that Mayorkas is telling the truth when he says the border is secure. We see it with our own eyes. They lie to us. They gaslight. We've got an attorney general who says that parents who were concerned, and the genesis of this is when a young girl who was raped in a bathroom in a school by someone of the opposite sex, by a guy who said that day he identified as a girl. So he goes in the bathroom and he sexually abuses a young girl. The parents come to the school board meeting and the father gets arrested. And then Merrick Garland, the uh, attorney general, says parents are domestic terrorists. How dare you? Where do you get that support from? Where do you get this thing that white supremacists are the biggest problem in this country? They are creating division because the whistleblowers are telling us in the FBI, it's not white supremacists in one case. They take every witness to the case and make every every person in the case a separate number. Janine. This is not the America that my father in World War II and my grandfather fought for. And our job right now is to, to, to make sure that we protect what Ronald Reagan talked about as that shining city on the hill. And you can get my book at judgejbook.com or Amazon or any bookstore, but it gives you all the arguments, the facts and the footnotes 
And it is a clear indictment of the fact that this administration is bringing us to the brink of extinction. And who said it? Abraham Lincoln said it. Abraham Lincoln said it in the Lyceum speech in 1838. He said, America is so great, she will not fall to a foreign power. No foreign power will cross the ocean and destroy America. America, if she is to die, will die by suicide. She will die by her own hand. And that's what the left and these anarchists are doing to America. And that's why I wrote Crimes Against America, the left's attempt to take down our republic. Well, Janine Pirro, this is not your first book. How many other books have you written? Eight. Wow. So you're a, a great author. And Crimes Against America, available on Amazon. I'm sure at Barnes & Noble, too. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and if you want an autographed copy, you've got to go to your website. Yeah, judgejbook.com. But i got to tell you something, John. This book is my most passionate because this is the one that I was most, most passionate about because we are seeing all of the foundations being destroyed from our histories to our statues to our education. Enough. We've got to put an end to it. And we've got to educate our kids the right way. Otherwise, there's no future. No question. Thank you, no uh, question. Judge Janine Pirro. New book, Crimes Against America. God bless you. I'm going to be buying one this, uh, this weekend. And, uh, Thank you. And have a great Memorial Day weekend. You too, John. Thank you for all you do for all of us. With us today is John Kandunas, a good friend. That was a New Yorker. He moved to Chicago a few years ago, which is his hometown originally, and uh, he became president of the Calamos and CEO of the Calamos Funds, a big uh, mutual fund in uh, Chicago. And uh, recently there's been reports a lot of companies are moving out of Chicago because of, of the new mayor. And uh, I wanted to get a uh, the pulse of the situation. John, uh, Wish you were still in New York so we could have dinner, but how, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. It's good to talk to you, John. Tell us, uh, there's been reports that a lot of companies are looking to move out of uh, Chicago because uh, of the crime wave like we have in New York. Uh, in New York, by the way, John, in case you don't know the numbers, in the last 12 months, 484,000 people have moved out of New York, and the exodus continues. Uh, give us the pulse of what's going on in Chicago. Uh, well, unfortunately, I don't think it's any different than what you're seeing in New York. Um, there's a lot of different reasons uh, that it's not just now with the new mayor because, uh, he, you know, the new mayor hasn't been in the seat that long, although the rhetoric coming from the office is, is probably, it's definitely not positive. But it's, it's been our, our previous administration, and for the last few years, uh, there's money goes where it's treated best. Uh, that's what our founder, John Calamos, always says. And the reality is people go where they're treated best. And uh, crime has been the number one issue for sure. Yes, taxes are high. Yes, it's you know sometimes difficult to do business. But that's not the reason why you know people like Boeing. Caterpillar, Tyson Foods, um, Citadel, which has been a, a, a real issue, um, a big, big taxpayer in this city. And actually, uh, I was at a dinner with Ken Griffin in, in Miami a week after he announced that he was leaving Chicago. And it wasn't because of 
anything else, the accumulation of everything, but crime was definitely the number one issue. Um, he was scared for not just himself, but more for his employees. And that's, and that's been uh, a big, big problem and continues to be. Now, what other companies have been uh, uh, considering moving? I mean, uh, does, have they made any formal announcements? No, but um, in the news as of uh, as earlier as, as this morning, um, you know, you're hearing Terry Duffy, who's uh, the CEO of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, um, threatening uh, to perhaps leave uh, because of some of the proposals that the new mayor is putting on. And if if uh, if you allow me uh, a little bit of uh, a, a couple minutes to talk about some of the things. That are being proposed, uh, you can see why. Go ahead, go ahead. We have time. He won't be the only one. Okay, so um, for instance, he was a big proponent of defunding the police, and that's something that uh, you know it doesn't make sense when you're looking at, in general, this year, all the crime is up 42 percent since 21. It's up 90 percent. I mean, you know, the worst are the carjackings and the, the vehicle thefts. That, that are up over 200 percent since two, 2021 to to take about nine percent more out of the budget we were already down uh, over 1200 police officers that, they, that and they don't even want to consider to fill those seats that they need to do another thing in that realm is that they want to take away the shot cameras which are i don't know if you're familiar with them there's like devices uh, to pick out shootings, the noise, and then the cameras go on, which has proven to to uh, have the police go to the incidents and, and capture the crimes. It goes from eight minutes without that on a 911 call to 30 seconds of uh, being able to get to the situation and, 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 and uh, put these people behind bars. Now, the biggest problem we have is not that the police that are there aren't doing their jobs. They are doing their jobs. They're doing a great job. But, you know, we have a similar problem like New York does where our state's attorney will not prosecute anybody. So these people are out. And if you look at the repeat offenders, it's through the, it's through the moon. I mean, and, and, and that's, that's the biggest problem. One is helping the police you capture, you know, take care of the crime. But then, you know, what do you do when you know most of these people are repeat offenders because the the, the the state's attorney doesn't want to put anybody behind bars, and you know you're seeing that in New York City too. I'm working uh, with the New York State uh, merchants uh, uh, people because they represent 3,200 merchants, and uh, a lot of them are starting to move. Uh, you go up and down New York right now uh, on uh, on all the avenues, half the stores are empty, and I'm not sure those people are ever coming back. Well, you know, the other proposals that the new mayor wants to do and is being uh, trying, you know, people are holding his feet to, to, to make good on his campaign promises, and especially the people that supported him, are, you know, things like head tax, where if you have a company that's over 50 people in city Chicago, it's an additional $33 per month for them. And then there's other taxes like uh, a 3.5% on any household of income over 100, 100 grand. I mean, who, who would want to stay in the city? They're even trying to go after um, airlines and jet fuel. 
They want to raise, you know, uh, up to 14 cents more per gallon for jet fuel for the airlines to pay for the pollution that they create in the city. And where's this money supposedly going to go? Exactly. And then also, you know, uh, another proposal is raising them, like what they call the mansion tax, by another 1.9%. They're trying to get money, uh, which are things that, oh, you'll like this one. Uh, One of the ones that I was reading through, um, which is, as a landlord as you are, tax on luxury apartment vacancies. All right, so you have an issue. Because if you're an, uh, an owner of a building and apartments, uh, people that may not want to be in the city anymore because of the crime or the high taxes, if you have units, a few like three units in buildings, and if you own more than 20 units that are vacant for over 12, 12, over 12 months because you can't rent them, you have to pay the equivalent of rent to the city because you can't, you know, you can't rent the things. How how does that at all incentivize? How, how do you pay rent to the city when you when you have no income coming in? Exactly. How does that ever incentivize anybody to actually purchase real estate? So, I mean, all these proposals, um, here's the thing. A lot of them are proposals. Let's see what the, the mayor gets done. Some of these are actually, uh, you know, I know they wanted to put a um, up to $2 transaction costs for the CME for every transaction, which would create a couple billion dollars of the revenue a year. The reality is Chicago doesn't have the jurisdiction to do that. The only people that can do that are at the state and the federal level. So a lot of it is rhetoric uh, to uh, placate his constituency, but the, the, the fact is he can't get that done. I mean, it's illegal. So. The reality is, let's see what actually happens, what is passed, what you know, what is uh, is um, is, is going to happen. But um, I'm afraid we might have to hit rock bottom before we we get any any kind of change here. Well, we're in trouble. Well, John, uh, please keep us informed and uh, what's going on in Chicago, because uh, uh, and. Uh, we got to save our country and got to save our cities. And thank you so much, uh, uh, John Kandunis, uh, president, CEO of uh, the Calamos Funds, a, a major, uh, uh, a major mutual fund uh, stationed in uh, in Chicago. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. And we continue with the Cats Roundtable with truth justice in the American way because that's what a heart believes in. With us today on this Memorial Day weekend, we have General John Tykert, and uh, he's a U.S. Air Force Brigadier General, retired now, uh, a national security expert, and he handled international uh, affairs programs for the Air Force as well as Space Force, and still, the American people still don't know what Space Force does. So, General, welcome to a Memorial Day weekend. It's a, a solemn weekend for all Americans, and we respect our we respect our past our past soldiers, and we respect our uh, our veterans. Uh, tell us, uh, Space Force. 
Americans uh, still don't know what they do. You're right. Now, this, John, thanks for having me on, and this is a great weekend just to remember everyone that serves today is standing on the shoulders of giants who have gone on before us. There is a new branch of the military that's called the United States Space Force. President Trump created it three and a half years ago. It's a fairly small branch of the military, but they now are responsible for all United States military activities in or through space. And they've been doing that very professionally and productively for the last three and a half years. What did he actually do? Now, so, John, that's a great question, and people do ask that. We have a lot of military space assets and capabilities that are important to the United States and our allies and partners. That includes, of course, GPS that provides navigation and timing signals, but it also includes the um, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance capabilities and communications capabilities that flow to or come from space. And all of those satellites need to be defended, and to some extent, we need to make sure that we can minimize the capability of an adversary in time of war and protect our own capability in time of war so that those extremely important capabilities can be maintained for our benefit during a conflict. Now, uh, a lot of people are saying uh, that we got to be prepared uh, our our adversaries, and I won't mention any names, but... Uh, are they capable? Do they have any capabilities of taking out our GPS system? Where, where, in other words, every car that we're driving stops. So, John, that is a great question, and there are some extremely capable space adversaries. And when we think about taking out capabilities, it doesn't just mean that you do something physically to hinder that satellite's ability to be used, but you can laze it or you can jam it or you can jam the uplink and the downlink from it. And all of those things are capabilities that exist today. And you mentioned navigation, that's important, but those GPS constellation satellites provide precise timing that all of our international banking relies upon. And you add communications that come through space as well. And so there's a lot of capability that the average American doesn't understand is important in space and the Space Force role is there to protect it. What percentage of those satellites uh, can go down and still have the system working? There are redundancies, and part of the thing that Space Force is now trying to create is something called a resilient Space Force architecture. And that essentially means that the satellites that we have up in space are shielded from jamming, or able to move to protect themselves. But another criteria or component of that resilient space architecture is the ability, instead of relying on big, high-value, capable satellites and finding ways to create more, less capable network satellites that make it a whole lot more difficult for an adversary to attack a few targets and take them out instead of um, what we hope to do is create something that is more resilient and more distributed to avoid that type of attack. And I'm sure it sounds like to me that uh, uh, some of these uh, uh, aircraft or, or spacecraft that we have up there in, in Space Force are, are capable, uh, how's the nicest way for me to say it, taking care of um, themselves and taking care of uh, of our satellites that are up there? John, the goal ultimately is something called space control and space superiority. 
which means that we can use space for our own desired purposes and we can prevent those that are adversaries from doing the same. And so we are developing and have developed capabilities of a variety of types to maintain space superiority, to stop the adversary from using it, and to protect ourselves so that we can use it. Now, the other thing, uh, since we're still up in the satellites, Elon Musk is planning to put up like 42,000 Starlink satellites. I mean, does that spe- create so much space garbage where, where, where we have a mess or are they, do they have licenses? Do they have to work it up, uh, work it out with, uh, with NASA? How, how does that work? John, all of that stuff is coordinated and then tracked actively by the Space Force in something called space situational awareness. 42,000 pieces up there is a lot, but there is also far more than that in satellites and the breakdown of satellites over the course of time. So we will need to be very active in understanding where those satellites are and constantly monitor them so that we cannot infringe on other things that the rest of humanity needs to do in that orbit and in space. Uh, I, I hate to say this one. Uh, do we have uh, or are planning to have a uh, sanitation department of, of space to, to pick up the garbage that uh, is accumulating? So you're spot on on that. There's a lot of things that have now accumulated over time that create a hazard in orbit and ultimately take up place that we could use in orbit. And part of an international understanding of what we need to do in the future is to create, just like you said, a garbage truck or a street sweeper that can help us clean up some of those things that could otherwise be hazardous and infringe on our ability to use orbits in the space domain that are important to us. Uh, General, Memorial Day weekend, what else would you like to tell the American people? Again, our military members and those veterans and their families are absolutely incredible. And it stuns me to consider the amount of service provided by less than 1% of our population that serves in the United States military. And then think of all those family members that serve alongside of them. I'm proud to be part of that legacy and absolutely take some time this weekend to consider those who have paid the ultimate price for our freedoms and thank those who continue to serve. General Tycart, thank you for everything you've done for our country. And it seems like you're one smart guy. I hope you're there someplace helping our country still. And uh, God bless you and God bless America. Listening to a show just focused on finding solutions. It's the Cats Roundtable. What is today is John Chachis, the founder and managing director of Methuselah Advisors. Well, who the heck are they? Well, he is a media professional, knowing what the heck is going on in the media. And you ran for Senate in Nevada. Long time ago. That's right. I did. I, I, was, a, I was a primary candidate for a Senate seat. I'm just a businessman like you. I own businesses. Now, John, uh, you are concerned. We had a uh, we, we, we caught each other in the elevator the other day, and, and you told me about your concern about what's going on in America's cities. And I said, come on, the radio because 
your concerns or my concerns and and America's concerns. Give us a. I'll give you the simple one. Simple one. One of one of the businesses that my family owns is in San Francisco. It's been there 165 years. It's called Gumps. It's a very well-known retail name, and we have. A, I love their chocolate. Yeah, well, we have we have a lot of beautiful things, and the city of San Francisco today is a disaster, which everybody knows. We don't need to spend a lot of time talking about it. I live half the time in New York City, where I have a different business. Everybody who stopped going to work has torn the fabric of the way these cities function, and until that's fixed. We've got big problems, big, big problems. And uh, of our large cities that have big problems, I know San Francisco has got to be on the top of it. Uh, tell us how bad San Francisco is and then go yeah, on to the next it's, one. It's incredible. Uh, I went out to visit our, our store, walking from the top of Union Square down through what is the most prestigious shopping district in San Francisco, uh, about eight blocks. I was uh, I, I was changing sides of the street to avoid derelicts and homeless people and drug addicts. People are in front of stores uh, laying on the street. I mean, it's a disaster. And the city supervisors and the mayor of San Francisco ought to be embarrassed and ought to be fired, frankly, for allowing the city to be in this condition. But what's worse is when you get to the financial district of San Francisco, there are literally empty office buildings. It's like everybody left during the pandemic and learned they didn't need to be in dirty unpleasant places and they haven't come back and until that fact is fixed until businesses somehow induce their employees to come back to their offices we've got real problems here in new york in the building where you and i are on monday and friday you might have a hundred people that swipe their card out of 2700 people in this building and so the pizza shop the restaurant all the small businesses that are surround these businesses in midtown manhattan they can't survive and nobody's well, you can't survive even worse. You know, Manhattan has an additional problem. Well, maybe not an additional because I haven't been in San Francisco. It's Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. It's The restaurants as busy as heck. Guess what happens Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday? There's nobody here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the city, these this sort of uh, dislocation that happened on the back of COVID, everybody's dusted it under the carpet like we don't want to really talk about it. The cities are going to have to give tax incentives to businesses who change their policies and require five days a week of their employees back. I, I have no other idea of how to get people back into their offices. It's not going to work by just suggesting it to people because the pandemic trained people to not be here. And the more progressive and more left leaning the city is, the worse it looks. The media doesn't want to talk about it that way. But if you go to Dallas or Salt Lake City or Nashville or cities in Florida that open back up. Sure, they have some problems. They have uh, homeless challenges and, and lots of uh, immigration challenges and other urban problems, but it's nothing compared to New York and Seattle and Portland and San Francisco. These cities that were off the end in terms of their political uh, thinking uh, are very in, in very deep trouble. We'll probably end up at the end of this year moving our business in San Francisco to Palo Alto or some other suburban community. It will have left San Francisco after 165 years. I find that atrocious. Is it dangerous for uh, your employees? 
I, you know, our employees are smart people. We haven't run into that problem. But during periods when there have been these these gangs running through 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 retail organizations, through retail shops in San Francisco and breaking windows and things, we've had to board up our store twice. We have um, we have a guard that's on the inside of our store now. But it's the it's the sadness of calling our customers who have come into Gums for literally a century and a half. And we say to a, a lady in Marin or in a suburb, you know, we haven't seen you in a year and a half. And her answer is, I don't come to San Francisco anymore. I spoke to uh, John Condunas of Chicago, uh, and he's president of the Calamos Funds now. He moved from New York to back to Chicago. And Chicago, a lot of companies are moving out. Similar, pro- similar profile, same kind of problem. At some point when the fabric of urban decay makes it so the quality of life has gone to hell, your employees say, look, I don't want to be here anymore. And once that starts, the corporations were, you know, what's their natural reaction? They move. Tom DiNapoli was on my show last Sunday. And uh, Tom DiNapoli is the controller of the state of New York. And he says April sales tax was budgeted at $17 billion. It was down 39% at $10 billion. He doesn't want to hit the panic button yet because he doesn't know if it's a it's a, a fluctuation. Oh, it's not a fluctuation. Or if it's uh, real, but if it's down forty percent, that's uh, ten billion a month or seventeen billion a month of budget. How do you make two hundred billion dollars in uh, for, for for the state revenue? Well, here's a bigger one. So that's your sales tax number. Your income tax always lags by about seven, 10 months until people really know the data because we all file our taxes either in April or in October if we're on extension. So the 2022 tax data, we don't really have it yet. We have the 2021 tax data, which was down a lot from 20, which was down from 19. I believe when the 2022 income tax data starts to roll in, it's always on a lag. The declines in some of these cities, it's going to reflect the the exodus of wealthy successful people is going to be gigantic and governor hochul and people aren't going to have a clue what to do about it well it's sad anything else you want to i think you need, I, I, stay I, on top of it because we want to have you on again in the future and, and let's need, let, let, let's keep track of we need we need a tax cut in major cities for corporations that require five day a week employees that's the first step it's going to create a bigger budget deficit, but it's going to be the only way to induce people back to their desk. That's the starting place. John Chatches, thank you for keeping America informed, and we'll catch up again real soon. Good to talk. Thanks for listening to the Cats Roundtable. If you missed any interviews, go to thecatsroundtable.com or go to wabcradio.com. Go to the podcast. Get those segments that you missed. Have a nice Sunday.